Well, good morning, church. Nice to see faces I feel like I haven't seen in months. <laughs> uh, and that's because I've been playing hooky, not because of you guys. Um, there are a bunch of rhythms in our life, and I'm not always sure we take the time to think about the ways we're being formed by the culture and the habits round about us. So you know how this goes in this country. Thanksgiving gets over, and all of our time and energy and attention and marketing and shopping aisles turn toward Christmas. Right? You know, that annoying thing. It's like sometimes it's not, Thanksgiving's not even over. If you're there late enough, they're starting to throw all the stuff out on the shelves. It sparks something in us, like an agitation to go get ready for the Christmas season. And so you've got to get the tree up, get the lights on the house. You've got to get your Christmas cards, get them out. If you're one of those families that does a photo, you've got to be even earlier to get your photo ready. You've got dinner to plan. You've got to figure out what family are we spending it with this year, which really is what family are we excluding this year? Or how do we divide the entirety of Christmas Day to make sure that we can fit like everybody in and then everyone gets a so small a slice of the pie it feels like nothing um, lots of preparations the logistics the gift buying the money you know you know the way it goes your mind just goes crazy um, we are so trained in this as a country I don't know how often you stop to think about the amount of money that gets spent over the Christmas season so sometimes it's just good and sobering to be reminded so I've got some numbers up here U.S. spending last year 2021 for Christmas was 800, uh, no, yeah, 886.7 billion dollars get spent over Christmas. 65% of that is gifts. The other stuff is broken up into like house lights and all of those sorts of things. And just by way of reminder, at that same point in the year, the population of the U.S. was 331 million. So that gives you an idea of how much each person is spending over Christmas. Ridiculous amount of money that we are culturally trained to spend. We save up all year. We put off buying things at times when we need it so that someone else can get it for us for a Christmas present. And then I want you to think of the gifts that you buy people or the gifts that you have received. And think about the value of gifts that you got that you didn't want that you've never used and over the course of your life that got stuck in a closet um, and, and think of my, my so some people in here love this I'm just going to let you hate me white elephant gift exchanges or even Christmas gift exchanges where you set a stupid theme and a money amount and you all go buy something that nobody wants and then you exchange the gifts and then as a team you blow thousands of dollars on things that no one in the room wanted, right? We're trained to do this. Um, to put this figure into perspective, I want to put up some other information here and I want you to know with, with the numbers here, uh, I have picked the upper estimate of what things cost. So UN in their big study said that to solve the global hunger crisis takes approximately $265 billion annually. And to solve the global water crisis takes about $150 billion annually. So with half the amount of money that we in America spend on Christmas, we could solve global poverty and the global water crisis. And just remember... That $887 billion is just the U.S. We're not talking about the, the, the estimates about $3 trillion that gets spent around the world over the Christmas season. Our priorities are a little messed up. 
So much time and money goes into this holiday preparation. But let me ask you this question. How much time and energy do you put into your spiritual preparation in a season like this? Like you've already been thinking about presents. You've already been planning who you're spending time with. You've already been writing Christmas cards if you're ahead of the game. But how much time and effort goes in in your spiritual journey to making sure that you and Jesus are in the right place as you walk into this season? Daniel already gave the announcement about the Advent devotional. A little book with two or three pages that every morning or, or set aside every day to help you reflect on Christmas. If you're not one of those people that likes to read, there's a great app, Lecture 365. You can go on. They have every day, they release a seven-minute uh, morning reflection and a two or three-minute evening reflection. Uh, and they're going through the Advent story right now. Um, simple ways to add into your day uh, reflection on what the purpose of this season is. Because I tell you, if you're not putting any time into your spiritual preparation in a season like Advent, then it's the culture around you that's dictating how your thoughts and your money and your behaviors are being spent. Advent is supposed to be, well, it is a season where billions of Christians around the world are all focused on the same thing right now, remembering the birth of Jesus. It's, it's one of the times set aside in the church calendar uh, where we are rehearsing the story of God. This is a, one of the things that's hard about singing Christmas carols. If you love Christmas carols, usually it's the nostalgia of the carols, and I love the melody, and I've sung it my whole life. But when you think about the words of the carols, so often they're clunky to sing because they don't do a good job of expressing what we feel toward God. Why? Because they're telling the story of Christmas. They're not designed to express our heart to God. They're designed to remind us of this story that we're part of. So this is a season where billions of Christians around the world are gathering to rehearse the story that should shape the way that we look at the world. In the Christmas story, I don't think there's any character that is more convicting than looking at Mary, the mother of Jesus. And so what I want to do this morning is, is take some time to look at her, her spiritual preparedness for what was coming. Her response to that is the litmus test or the barometer of how we're doing spiritually in our lives in general, but then as we enter a, a time like this. So we're going to read Luke chapter 2, such a familiar part of the story. Um, but the biblical exhortation to God's people is always rehearse and remember the story that we're part of. So let's look at Luke chapter 2. We're going to read verse 26 to 38. And then we're going to take a little bit of time to allow the story of Mary to confront us as we prepare for Christmas. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descent of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son and you're to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the one born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. She who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month, for no word from God will ever fail. 
I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. And then the angel left her. Let's just zoom in on Mary's words here, her response at the end. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. (laughs) We often read the Bible story and, and... I think what we do in our default is to put ourselves in the like positive spin characters, right? Of course, if God came to us like this, we would answer affirmatively, right? Um, but when you stop and think for a moment, like Mary's response, you've got to remember who she is in this moment, uh, what she is being promised in this moment. Mary's like 12 to 14. Things were different culturally back then, but in some sense, it's not a whole lot. Um, I want you to take a moment and think about people you know or people that you hear of that are pregnant at 12 to 14 years old. What are the things you think about them, the statements that you make about them? You may be one of those people in the room. What were the things that people said about you or the assumptions they made about you as a response? Mary in this moment is aware of the stigma that's about to come. This is not just a a girl getting pregnant at a young age. This is a girl getting pregnant outside of marriage in an age where that was central to the belief system. So she knew what people were going to say about her, the things that were going to assume about her. And yet faced with that, faced with the the trauma of a pregnancy, faced with the confusion that she knew she she was going to walk into, her response, I am the Lord's servant. Me, you do to me whatever you're going to do. Is that the response that we have? During Advent, there are several themes that we historically will look at as we move through the four weeks of Advent. Last week, uh, Michelle Jones looked at the theme of joy. This week, we're going to look at the theme of faith. We're going to look at Mary and this moment of faith uh, and ask what this means for us as we try and live out our faith today. Um, I want to start by saying we misunderstand faith tremendously in our culture. Uh, Over time, I'm not going to go into the historical story, we won't go there. Um, There are lots of ways that we view faith today that are not correct. So let me say this, faith is not a set of things that you believe about God. That may be part of what faith is, but we're really guilty in the West of saying faith is just believe these things and then you're saved. Faith is not just the set of beliefs. Faith is not, as we often say, believing in things without having any evidence of it. It's not just about blind faith. There are moments of faith that mean without all of the evidence, we still have to take steps forward. But there is ample evidence. I had a great conversation with my 24-year-old brother when I was home in Scotland about the evidence that exists to verify that Jesus was a living person. I'm like, the, the issue is not over whether Jesus was alive or not. The debate is over, was he the person that he claimed to be? There is ample evidence of the stuff uh, that, that we are believing. So faith is not believing without evidence. Faith is not a set of feelings towards God. Some of it is it's like, you know, when I have that happy, peaceful moment, that means God is real and is doing his work. And then in those moments where life is hard and I feel uh, betrayed or confused or beat down or depressed in those moments, it's like, ah, oh, I don't have any faith because I can't have confidence in God. No, it's not the set of feelings toward God. Those may be part of our faith experience, but that's not what faith is. Faith, my least favorite one, faith is not optimism or having a positive mental attitude. To have faith is not to say, you know, it doesn't matter that your mom just died. It's all going to be fine and she's in a happy place. That's not faith. 
It may be an element of our belief, but faith is more than just believing everything will turn out okay. Faith was Mary saying, yes, I'll bear your child. I'm probably going to get ridiculed. I'm going to get kicked out of my community. People are going to say things about me, but I don't care because I trust you. Faith, at the end of the day, is about trust, and that trust always results in action. So you want to test your faith or test the faith of the people that you have and the people around about. Do you trust them? And does that trust evidence itself in action in your life? In Genesis 15, God makes a promise to Abraham. Abraham is without children. And there's been this promise that he's going to be turned into this great nation. He's just given his servant girl, or his wife's just given the servant girl to Abraham to make a baby so that they can have the fulfillment of the promise. And there's this moment in Genesis 15 where God says, no, I promise you, you're going to have a child. And it's you and Sarah are going to have a child. And this child is going to be my chosen child child. And I love how the Bible describes this moment. You can see in Genesis 15, this is talked a lot about in Galatians and Romans. But it says, Abraham believed God and God credited that to Abraham as righteousness. Notice it didn't say Abraham believed in God. It's not a question of is God real or not. It doesn't say Abraham believed in God. It doesn't say, so Abraham committed himself to an agreed upon set of truth premises And God credited that as righteousness. It says he believed God. He trusted God. We we celebrate Christmas. We rehearse this story because we believe God. We believe that what he said is true. We trust that the things that he's promised will come to happen in this world. So we say faith is one of the themes of Advent. But really the, the issue or the theme is trust. So the question today as we're walking through this is where do you sit, not in your faith in Jesus, but where do you sit in trusting him with the issues that you're facing as you look at your own life, as you look at your family and friends, and as you look at the world today? Mary was a woman of faith, faced with horrible things. She says, I'm your servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. So in this passage, there are four ways that we see her faith come out in the story. And I want to look at these four things and then ask, what does that mean for us? And what does it mean for us as we walk into Christmas? So very simple. First way that we see her faith in the story, I would call holy humility. Greetings, you who are highly favored, the angel says. And Mary was greatly troubled. He was greatly troubled. Not, oh, greetings, you who are highly favored. Oh, you got that right. I'm the highly favored one. I've served God wholeheartedly. I deserve everything positive that's about to come to me. No, greetings, highly favored, and she was troubled. We so easily get caught up in pride, and I don't think we realize how much of our Christmas experience is rooted in pride. Uh, We, (laughs) marketing is a whole discipline and enterprise that exists in the world that capitalizes on and takes advantage of our brokenness and our insecurities. We will buy things at Christmas because we want to look a certain way to the people around about us. We will buy certain things at Christmas because if my house can look this way or my clothes can look this way or I can have the video game console that I want, it lets us feel loved and important enough and cherished enough uh, as we walk in the world. 
you know, market and praise on our fear all the time. Buy this insurance policy because you have a fridge freezer and one day in 20 years, the door might not open. So spend hundreds of dollars every month to guarantee that if the door doesn't open in the future, that we will fix it even though the part won't exist at that point in the future, right? They, they prey on our fear. Uh, they axe deodorant, let's scoosh it all over yourself. Shh. And all the women from the world are going to come throwing themselves at you because you want to be loved and cherished. So this Christmas, buy every guy you know an axe gift set. It's stupid, right? <laughs> that car looks really nice. But funny how that woman is like draping herself over it and the sweat's running down his face. And they're using like sex appeal to make you want to buy a car because if you drive the car, it's going to make the woman look at you the way the woman and the thing does, right? Marketing is designed to prey on us and our pride. Want to look the right way. There are two elements of pride. I think when we think about pride, often we only look at one side of it. We look at the side of pride that says, I'm better than everybody else. I've got it all together. That's one part of pride is I want to be like God in my life and I think I'm the best. And so I elevate myself over everyone else. But the other side of pride, which doesn't always look like pride, but is entirely pride, is, woe me. Oh, I'm such a poor person. The world is so out against me. Like, no one ever listens to me, no one ever loves me, no one ever comes to visit. Who's the center of the world in that story, right? In both stories, we blame other people, and we distance ourselves from others. And and, and story number one, I'm better than everyone else. Like, look at all those people, I blame them for their weakness, those poor people that can't be as good as me. If you're in the woe me situation, we look at the world and we blame them for not having enough strength. Uh, or Sorry, we blame everyone else for being too strong. That person victimized me. That person hurt me. That person oppressed me. Here we're in a situation where Mary could look at the lot that was about to be given to her. And she could have said, look, I'm amazing. World, celebrate me because I'm carrying the child of the, the ruler of creation. She could have sat there and said, oh, well, me. God, I'll never be able to do this. I'm such a pitiful little girl. But instead, her response is, greatly troubled at the words of God. Why? Because she understood that if you're favored by God, something is coming and that something is expected. Her humility was enough that she knew she was an instrument in God's hands. So God, if I give myself to you and you say favors upon me, you're probably going to ask things of me And I'm going to have to do them, but I trust you because I know all the stories of our faith. I know what happened to Abraham. I know what happened to Moses. I know what happened to Joseph. I know how the stories work. And so God, I am your servant. Do, may your word be fulfilled in me. How's your humility as you're getting ready to walk into Christmas? Think about the things you're longing for this Christmas materially. Think about how you think about some of the people in your family or on your street. Uh, Is your heart towards them one of positivity and love and kindness and self-sacrifice? Or is it blame and hurt and criticism? How is your humility as you walk into Christmas? In what ways might God be inviting you to walk in greater humility today and then in through this Christmas season? The second way that we see Mary's faith modeled is what I would call holy curiosity. 
How will this be? Mary asked the angel. Not, that's not going to happen. Not, that can't happen. Not, what on earth? Not, no. But Mary got curious. Her faith expressed in curiosity. Her response is not, it's impossible. Her response is not, you can't do that. Her response is, well, how? Clearly you can do this. Clearly that can happen. Help me understand. Faith is not having all the answers. It's not, I've got this figured out and I know exactly what to believe and how to believe. And my job now is to tell the rest of the world and the rest of the Christians the right things to believe about Jesus. Faith is trusting God to have the answers even when they're not clear to us. Mary's response to the burden she was about to be given is how? Help me understand. Christmas and church at Christmas can be hard because it's a story that we know really well. So, okay, we're going to learn about the shepherds again. Jesus came and was born again. There's wise men again. Shepherds are. And it can get boring and dull because we come to the Christmas story without the holy curiosity that we need in order to learn the new truths. Are you bored because you've lost curiosity? Think about your life in general. Uh, Think about your faith in general. Like, have you reached a point where you feel like you've got all the answers and you're the one person in the world that seems to know the way it's supposed to go and the rest of the church has no idea what they're talking about? Or are you walking in holy curiosity, asking God what new things he wants to reveal to you today? What things you've been clinging to for years that may be wrong that need to be corrected? What's that look like when you think about going to your family's house for Christmas? Have you lost your holy curiosity about the people that sit in the room with you? You've made assumptions about how they're going to behave, what they're going to say, how much alcohol they're going to consume, and some of those things with good reason because they've done the same things year after year after year. But as soon as we decide we've figured it out and that we know exactly what that person will do or say or act, then we lose any sense of curiosity and we write them, out as, uh, write them off as someone not worth getting to know anymore. So in what ways have you lost the sense of curiosity in the things of God and in the people around you? And are you willing to come to Christmas this year with holy curiosity that perhaps God has something new to show you in the Christmas story or as you interact with the people around you? The third and most obvious way that we see Mary model this faith is holy surrender. A 12 to 14 year old girl growing up in poverty, willing to embrace the stigma of unwed pregnancy in a culture where things like adultery and pregnancy outside of wedlock can result in the death of the person for breaching the covenants of God. I, I take my moments and I think if, if Mary was born in the United States of America in 2022 and God appeared to her, and said, you're going to carry my child. wonder what our culture's response would have been. Many of us would write Mary off as just one of those girls from one of those families that we don't want in our church. Right? I think some people may have looked at Mary and said, you're living in poverty. You can't afford this baby. What sort of life is she going to have? I can take you to a clinic where we can sort this and it'll be painful for the rest of your life, but it'll be okay. Will we treat her as a statistic and never give her any thought 
which is user in our arguments and our debates and as the evidence for why the way we see the world is right and why it isn't. When you try and bring it into our culture and our time, I think you see some of the weight and the pain and the mess uh, of what she was walking into. But her response of surrender was, I'm willing to endure all of that for you because I trust that no matter what is thrown at me, your will is best. That your plan is worth trusting, that you work out good of the things that are painful. We look at Mary, and then we look at our Christmas shopping list. We're like, oh, I'm not willing to go without my new frying pan this year. <laughs> oh, I can't cut that off the list because I'm really going to need those new jeans because they look so cool. Do you like my new jeans? Uh, <laughs> Mary's story at Christmas reminds us of the things that she's willing to give up and surrender and sacrifice in order to walk in the way of Jesus. The question becomes, what are you willing to sacrifice this year? Are you willing to forgo a gift so that you can give money to someone in poverty? Are you willing to swallow your pride and go sit with a family member who hurt you years ago in order to reconcile a relationship that should have been solved a long, long time ago? Who are the people that are still in your Christmas card list, but you've got their name scored off and you've sworn you'll never send them a Christmas card again? Are you willing to pick up a Christmas card and write it and take a step forward? What are you willing to do this Christmas that you've been putting off all year long that as we look at the person of Mary, reminds us that there's more that we can do. The fourth way that we see Mary model her faith is a summary of what I've been saying, and it's how I started, it's holy trust. The statement she makes is, may your word be fulfilled in me. She knows. She knows the promises of God. If she was standing today, she would understand Christmas as the celebration of the fulfillment of the promises that he made. It's the promise that though the world seems bleak and scripture describes the world as covered in darkness, filled with people who love the darkness, the promise was light will break into the darkness and things will be changed. There will be hope in the middle of the difficulty. There's someone in your life on your Christmas list, you've thought of the perfect gift to give them and you're excited to give it to them, but what if what they really need this year is the light of the world to break into the darkness? What if they need, what they need more than the gift is for dinner and you to be willing to put down your prejudice and sit and hear their story and listen to what it is uh, that's going on in their life and to pray for them and to love them and speak blessing over them as we looked at in the last series. Mary's life reminds us that trust or faith lies at the heart of our intimacy with Jesus and that trust should always lead us to take action. So in a season like this what, that we're in, we've got to stop and reflect and ask yourself the question, am I mindlessly walking toward Christmas, being influenced by the culture around me, the adverts on the TV, the shopping lists of the people around about me, the lights on the house of my neighbor, or am I investing time spiritually to prepare my heart that Jesus and what he wants for me and for my family and for the people around me is the thing dictating how I use my money and my time and my home this year? So let me finish with this one question. What stories are you rehearsing as you walk into Christmas? 
This is a season in the church calendar where we're invited to rehearse the story of God. But what story are you rehearsing? Is it the story of materialism? I need a new computer. I need a new car. I want the fanciest new TV. You're rehearsing a story of judgmentalism. I hate those people. I hate what they did to me. How dare they send me a Christmas card like everything's okay? Are you sharing the story of defeatism? Look at the world. There's no hope. All these people just spending all their money sold on the things of the world. There's no hope for the world. Who cares? It's all going to burn anyway. Are you rehearsing a story of blame? It wasn't me. It was all their fault. What's the story that you're rehearsing as you go into Christmas? And I tell you, if it's not the story of Jesus and what he did, and if it's not the story of how his blood covers over your sin, and if it's not the story of how through that work and him, him coming and being born and dying, the spirit comes and inhabits us and pulls the church together to transform us into the likeness of Jesus so that we can be light to the world. If that's not the story that you're rehearsing over Christmas, then it doesn't matter what you intend to do you're going to do exactly what the world is asking you to do. So rehearse the story of faith. God, I trust you. No matter what comes my way, you entering the world has made all the difference. This Christmas, help me to offer myself to you like Mary, your servant. May your words that we read all through the Bible be fulfilled in us. Let me pray. God, Mary's life is so convicting. Stand here at 38 years old, convicted by the life of a, an early teenage girl who was so uh, set on you and so willing to surrender herself to you that she carried the most precious gift the world has ever seen. And yet we sit here 2,000 years later in the Western world thinking we've got it figured, all figured out, thinking that we're doing well in the way that we follow you, and yet we fall so far short of what it looks like to trust you and to prioritize you and to love like you. But man, I thank you that you're a God who forgives, that that mercy is new every morning because your faithfulness is so great. Thank you for blood that covers over our sins, that your love covers over the multitude of sins. That as far as the east is from the west, so far you've removed that sin from us. And thank you that though we're dead in our sin, that we're alive in Jesus, that you've given us the power of the Spirit who illuminates the truth, who teaches us the things of Jesus, who's the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him, and who enables us to stand against the fallen pattern of the world and walk in the way of Jesus. So God, I pray as we walk into this Christmas that you would increase our faith, that you would make us a little bit more like a 12 to 14-year-old girl born in poverty who was willing to give her everything for you. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.